0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks so much for being here. I have a really, really, really great episode today, which I want to just dive into, but I have a couple of things that I need to tell you. The first is that um, I got a lot of great feedback on the Q&A episode and uh, people loved it and they want more. So that means you actually have to submit your questions. (laughs) So the only way I can do it is if I get questions from you. So submit your questions at kateanthony.com slash questions. And the other thing I wanna let you know is that my program, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, is going to be getting a full-blown revamp and it will be available at the beginning of April and it's going to be at a higher price point cuz it's going to have a lot more content and information in it. So, if you've been kind of like on the fence and you're like, "Should I? Should I pull the trigger? Should should I should I buy it or should I not?" Uh and you want to lock in the lower price of 497, then you should do that very soon. And don't forget we always have a payment plan available for you. All right. So, today I am so incredibly excited and honored that I was joined for this conversation by Leslie Bennett's. I have been a bit of a fangirl of Leslie's for a very long time. Um, after I read her book, The Feminine Mistake, Are We Giving Up Too Much, which is all about the um, financial Uh, power that we give over in our marriages. Now that, uh, Leslie and I, uh, have connected, I, um, I'm going to keep that go, that connection going. We're going to have her on the podcast again. Um, she's actually in our Facebook group and she reads your stories. And so she is this, I love this episode because she's really speaking to you guys. She's really speaking to you. So Leslie Bennett's is a journalist and an expert on women's issues who's spoken all over the world on financial security and women's empowerment. She's the author of The Feminine Mistake, Are We Giving Up Too Much, as well as the biography, Last Girl Before Freeway, The Life Loves Losses and Liberation of Joan Rivers. How cool. So without further ado, I'm just going to cut straight to my conversation with the amazing Leslie Bennett. Leslie Bennett, it is such an honor and such a privilege to have you on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. I am very pleased to be here. Oh, where to begin? I think one of the things that you and I have spoken about before is
1: your book, The Feminine Mistake, which you wrote how long ago now? It was 15, 15 years ago. And what is so shocking to me is How much hasn't changed, you know? (laughs) I mean, I wrote it uh, right, but it came out the year before the crash of 08. And the economy had been very good. And um, women were leaving the workforce for the first time in decades. The women's workforce participation was dropping. And the mainstream media, of which I've been a member my entire adult life, was promoting this idea of the opting out revolution, you know, just go home and be a stay-at-home mom and it's so great and you don't have to have the stress of juggling work and family. And I was old enough at that point, I was in my fifties and I had started to see how this actually works out over the long run for women and that it's a disaster, you know, and that you uh, raise your kids and then you can't get back into the workforce to earn you know, a a living that will support you. And with women living longer and longer, I I thought this is going to be a catastrophe. So Mm -hmm. I wrote the book in response to that. And it's just shocking to me that 15 years later, this problem is not only uh, not any better in terms of remaking our world to suit the needs of women and children and families, but in a lot of ways, because of the pandemic, it's worse because of the pressures right. uh, on women that have been, you know, unprecedented. So. Do
0: you have the stats at your fingertips of the number of women or the percentages who have had to opt out of the workforce in the pandemic? Well,
1: they were, you, you know, they were saying, you know, I think of five million or something. It's, it's very hard to tell right now because. You know, one of the things that has changed in the last few years is the gig economy. So Mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of people that are working in different ways that aren't necessarily showing up in the, you know, full-time participation in the labor force statistics. But the problem is that, you know, there was a, a study a couple of years ago that showed that, you know, the majority of the American people don't have $400 to tide them over an emergency, whether it's medical or, or anything else. And it's also the case that uh, most people don't have retirement savings. And when my grandmother was born, women's average lifespan was 40 uh, in America. And I went to a fam a graveyard um, in Utah where my mother's family. Came from, and there were, you know, many generations of women who died in childbirth at 39, giving birth to their seventh child. So, if that was going to be your entire life, it was not um, a bad bet to say you were going to get married until death, because you were going to die early. But, you know, my closest male friend just spent uh, the weekend celebrating his mother's 106th birthday. And they're estimating now that at least half of today's kindergartners are going to live to be 100. So if women have a lifespan of 100 and our blueprint for their lives is to find, you know, Mr. Right or Prince Charming and he's going to take care of you forever, this is going to be a catastrophe. And we're still encouraging women to make all of these Very selfless choices, you know, self-sacrificing choices, which they perceive as being for the, um, you know, uh, best for their children and their families. But um, when I wrote The Feminine Mistake, the average age of widowhood in America was 54. Um, I think it's 58 right now but it's going to go down because of the pandemic. And women think that being widowed is something that happens when you're elderly, but statistically it's not. And also by Mm -hmm. the time women hit, you know, there's just been this incredible boom in what they call gray divorce in the last 20 years. People did not used to get divorced at 60 or 65 or 70. And now people get to this age. I mean, I'm a boomer. And they look at each other after 30 or 40 years of marriage and one of them <clears throat> says, "Well, if I live to be 100, I don't want to spend the rest of this time with you." And somebody's out the door. So, if like 40 more years? Yeah, Ooh. right. It's a long haul. I mean, my right. friend whose mother is 106 was widowed, was widowed 40 years ago. And she, you know, and she had one child and he went off to college, I don't know, 50 years ago or something. Right. And so if that's your only plan for life, you know, the Stanford Center on Longevity just did a big new report on aging. And our blueprint for women's lives is catastrophically antiquated. And it basically just sends us headfirst into the buzzsaw. And I think everybody in your community um, has discovered this the hard way. Many of us learn these lessons the hard way. Absolutely. So we need a new plan is one of my we, main, one of my main points that I always try to make to people in this culture. We've got to stop telling girls that marriage and motherhood are the answer. They are. That's right. They may be part of uh, a fulfilling life if you choose them, but they are not the answer. They're not gonna take you the distance. Men die sooner than women. You know, uh, the, the percentage of, of people in traditional nuclear families is now less than a quarter. Of American families, um, and uh, you know our our ideas are just hopelessly um, uh, obsolete in terms of the realities that women confront in today's world, and and your children's uh, welfare. I mean, if you can't afford to buy groceries and pay the rent, you know it it doesn't matter how available to them you are. You're not able to. Uh, take care of them adequately. So right, we've got a lot and of just to to, do. we have so
0: much work to do, Leslie. Oh my gosh! So so, just to clarify, the feminine mistake for those right. of, for the for those who have not read it, although it is on, it has always been on the um, official divorce survival guide book list. But for those of you who haven't
1: read it, the mistake is the mistake is economic dependency. What I realized, as I said, when I got into my fifties and, you know, you start to watch the the marriages toppling like a row of dominoes, you know? Yeah. And yep. the men, as so many women in your community know, and I've read a lot of, you know, just uh, heart wrenching posts, you know, yeah. a man can wake up one day and say, I don't want to do this anymore and walk out the door. And it is usually the man who is not the custodial parent. And the woman gets left taking care of the kids, been out of the workforce for any period of time. She just has a, a horrifying challenge in front of her, often no way to support herself, not only in the present, but going forward. So it is the case that after divorce, men's standard of living goes up and woman's standard of living goes down a cliff. And so what does that tell you about the fairness of this system? And uh, as you get older, when men divorce, they almost always repartner and women don't, because if you look at the, if, if you look at it, you know, it's one thing, you know, a lot of women say, well, I'll just find another husband. But if you yeah, look that's what the, I thought, if you yeah, if you look at the data from <laughs> the dating sites, A 60-year-old guy who's not, you know, uh, a serial killer, um, uh, if he's, you know, reasonably successful. And by that, I mean, he's, you know, got a a roof over his head. Functional, (laughs) right? right? He's semi-functional. (laughs) <laughs> a 60 year old guy thinks he is, you know, they won't date within 15 years of their own age. He thinks he's not looking for a successful 60 year old woman who is his peer. He thinks he's dating somebody age appropriate if she's 38 instead of 28. So the whole game plan of I'll just find another guy which may have worked fine when you were in your 20s or your 30s is not working so well in your 50s or your 60s or your 70s. Sure. And not even not in your 40s. And, I mean and in, even in your 40s you're at that on the 40s. cusp of that thing and and again that goes off a cliff too. So um And uh, yeah. My, yeah. My I single, mean I my single favorite piece of data that I've probably ever seen the the guy who founded OKCupid okay got um, the uh, the data from all of the, the dating matchup sites. and uh, he wrote a bestseller, I think it was called Dataclism. but this there was this this great, great finding, which is if you make a, a graph, of the uh, people that men and women are attracted to. If you have women and they go from the age of 20 until you know 80, um, the men they're attracted to are within a year of their own age. So it goes up right in tandem with the woman's age. With yeah. men oh, God. starting at 20, men are most attracted to 22 year old women. And if you plot this on a graph until they no. die, no, your 90-year-old still wants a 22-year-old woman and thinks he deserves one. So the men's, you know, interests- never, Where does this come from? They don't grow up. They have, Well, patriarchy. I mean, you know, they have <laughs> a sense of entitlement. They're, you know, a guy can be, you know, short and bald and fat and and poor and he still thinks he should have a supermodel. You know who looks as if you know she used to be a Victoria's Secret angel. So, you know, I mean, go figure. Um, but it is it is a sense <laughs> of entitlement, figure. and it really is a problem for women because mm-hmm. uh, I was a reporter. My um, my career was divided between the New York Times and then I was at Vanity Fair for many years. And a former colleague of mine, Nancy Joe Nancy Joe Sales published a book last year about the dating apocalypse, you know, and she, it's, it's like she, her contention is that online dating has been just a catastrophe for women because men have this endless sense that there's somebody better around the corner, always something better, always something better. That's right. Mm You have to make a commitment. And so, you know, the marriage rate is dropping precipitously in most of the Western industrialized nations. You know, there are and, and, you know, monogamous lifelong marriage hasn't necessarily worked very well as a model for a lot of people. It could use some tweaking, but for the women who still want that, you know, it's increasingly hard to find men Mm -hmm. who are sane and decent who want that kind of a commitment, let alone who want to be uh, who want to be monogamous, you know. So right. there's an awful lot, you know. There's this terrible mismatch between what women have been socialized to want and expect, and to some extent, what they need because you know raising a child alone is is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you do need a lot of different kinds of support that we don't get in this country because the work, the labor force was built for men who had stay-at-home wives to take care of everything and obviously women who are single parents uh uh do not have that and even working married mothers you know don't have that it's like where's my wife nothing has kept pace with our needs
0: right and also by the way i think i would say that i would say that that yes our labor force was based on that but we couldn't we could barely afford that now
1: nobody can live on a single income unless a guy is, you know, a super high earner and they are more likely to leave their wife for a younger trophy wife at a certain age. The the revolution in, you know, divorce uh, litigation and the the equality revolution, 50 years ago, a woman who was a, they used to call them a displaced homemaker. Let's say you were married, you (laughs) raised the kids and your husband dumped you in the divorce Mm -hmm. revolution of the 70s. Well, you would still get alimony back then. And mm-hmm. if you had a really good, tough lawyer, maybe you'd get lifelong alimony. But after that, the court started looking at this and saying, well, you have an education, you could work. And the husband would have to pay child support, but only till the kids were 18 or whatever. The, court, the judge would say, well, I'll give you two or three years to get back into the labor force. And then you yep. have to support yourself. So if you got dumped at 50 and you couldn't get a job above a minimum wage level, and you were living at a much higher standard of living when you were married, um, you look at that and you think, how can this have happened to me? Why didn't anybody tell me? So the reason that I wrote uh, The Feminine Mistake was to say, look, the risks of economic dependency are enormous. And basically when women give up their careers, and drop out of the labor force, they're essentially playing Russian roulette, not only with their own futures, but with their children's welfare. Because if they, you know, an awful lot of uh, men, I mean, you know, the majority of child support cases in this country are in arrears. Men just don't pay what they're supposed to pay. Women don't have a lot of recourse. And then the future starts to look very bleak. I mean, there's a reason why people are making movies like Nomadland about, you know, older women who are living in their van or, you know, I mean, there's an awful lot of people out there. Several years ago, I wrote a column uh, there. Somebody had done a study saying um, that the majority of women over 60 have to choose between food and the medications they need because they can't afford both. And so you look at this stuff and you say, uh, what's, what's wrong with this picture? You know, I mean, so there's, if, if you leave yeah. the labor force, you you never really catch up. I think now with the, you know, the gig economy, there are there's a lot of very enterprising women who are trying, you know, there's a big uh, uh, upsurge in interest in female entrepreneurship. I mean, look at what you've created, you know, but it's yeah, but It's but hard. let's look at
0: what I created. And I, you know, I'm very transparent about this um, with uh, on the podcast and with my with my people, because. I think it's important to know that, you know, I got divorced 13 years ago. I had two years of spousal support because I was exactly married for five. Exactly what
1: I'm talking
0: about. I had two years, and in that time, I was like, sure, I'm totally gonna be able to, you know, find a new husband. That was my that was my plan. That was your
1: plan, so. That was my big
0: plan. <laughs> I'll find a new husband, and then I will, you know, I'll work again or something. I'll do something. I don't, I didn't know. I was like, I'm gonna have to work, but I don't know what it is. And, you know, ultimately- First, you know, spoiler, there was no new husband. And then, you know, it took 10 years for me to build this business to what it is now. And it has been profitable for the last three years. But for 10 years or seven years before that, I went into so much debt. Tens of thousands of dollars
1: of debt. And you're the success story because you actually created something.
0: That's right. Right. That's right.
1: You know, it's not like you're laughing all the way to the bank, you know? I
0: am not laughing all the way to the bank. I'm still paying off debt. I can't afford to buy a home, certainly not in Los Angeles where I live, right? Like if, if I moved, sure, but I can't because I've got a son with a man who lives here and his career is here and I'm not, you know, so like there's all these things, right? I am still, I'm still tethered and I'm still sort of facing the consequences of 13 course. years later of- this decision that I made, which was to take myself out of the workforce and be a stay-at-home mom. Right.
1: Many women in their divorce decrees, you know, they stipulate you can't leave the state, you know, you can't move out of state for 18 years until your kid is 18 or whatever. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's not even necessarily a, an option. My feeling about all of this was, you know, you sort of feel like Paul Revere, you know, somebody's got to warn people, you know, when I published The Feminine Mistake, I thought <laughs> I was very naive. I'm a reporter. I thought, oh, I'm doing a public service. I'm going to say, here's the facts. You know, here's what happens when you do this.
0: And then everyone was going to be like, oh, my and gosh, what are we thinking? Like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'll
1: have to rethink this, you know. Right, and instead, right. people, it was unbelievably controversial. The stay-at-home mothers of America were furious with me and they flooded the amazon reader review site with with reviews saying this is a horrible book don't buy it i haven't read it and you shouldn't either and i'm thinking wait a minute you're not supposed to be <laughs> you, reviewing it if you haven't read it they were just so mad it. at the idea that i was you know that i was saying look you've been sold a bill of goods here you know that's right this is not fair what we do to women we keep you know we indoctrinate them from birth and you know i'm a mother I have two kids, one of them's a boy and one's a girl. So of course my daughter grew up, you know, watching the Disney movies. And of course she went through, you know, the princess phase. So we're essentially the culture by osmosis, you know, there's chick lit, there's chick flicks. There's all these things basically telling them that you will find true love. Mm -hmm. And that is Mm -hmm. fundamentally the answer for women you know, for men, we're promoting the idea of freedom and achievement. You know, we're saying to men, you know, go conquer the wilderness, go into outer space, cure cancer, you know, do all of these things. And with women, we're basically offering a vision of domestic life and we're applauding their self-sacrifice in giving up whatever goals they might have, whatever talents they might have wanted to explore in favor of their perception of what's best for their family. But we're not telling them that if they do that, as I said, it's a game of Russian roulette. You know, that's right. if there are eight chambers yep. in the gun, I don't know how many chambers there are in a gun, but let's say there's only one bullet in there. If you're the one who, for whom it doesn't work out, that's a, that's a tragedy, and yeah. in fact, in our society, it's the majority of women for whom this game plan for life does not work out the way that they thought it would. And I I just think it's immoral the way we set women up for, you know, this kind of heartbreak and disappointment and deprivation. And then we turn around and say, well, you just married the wrong guy, you know, as if it's like her <laughs> right. fault. Well, you should have picked better. You You should have picked better. That's right. As if you can predict when you marry somebody what they're going to be like in 20 or 30 years.
0: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. For over a decade, I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind. SoberLink. SoberLink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. SoberLink's real time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With SoberLink, judges rest assured that your child is safe. Attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High Conflict Divorces, visit soberlink.com slash DSG. And now, back to our show. So what would you say to someone listening right now who is a stay-at-home mom and is sort of facing this and like, you know, we're not here to say to you, like you, you fucked up, you made this terrible decision, right, it's your exactly. fault, right? I think it's really important that we, that as you were saying, that like society made you believe made this, us do right?
1: this, right? We get brainwashed from birth to think this is what we're supposed to do. So my feeling is women shouldn't blame themselves. Nobody should blame them. You know, um, mm-hmm. but we should start informing ourselves about what the long term consequences of this are going to be for us. And right. one of the things that is true is that if, for whatever reasons, and people have lots of different demands on them, some of them have children with disabilities, or, you know, various. Issues um, that require, uh, you know, greater than norm, you know, average caretaking needs. But if women at least can keep their hand in, you know, it's partly just this mental, um, you know, balancing act of understanding. I think one of the things when you're overwhelmed with the needs of your children and your family, you feel as if, well, this is my life. And Mm -hmm. what you don't realize is it's not going to last forever, Children do grow up. And then the thing that I think most of us are unprepared for is if we don't die young, how much time there is on the other end of that? There's just Mm -hmm. an extraordinary amount of years. You know, Um, if you got divorced at 55 and you live to be 95 and that's 40 years and your whole concept of what you were doing with your life was marriage and motherhood, those are a pretty empty years. So I would mm-hmm. say to any woman, whether she is uh, at home or not, certainly if she is uh, at home, think about the future. Think about what else you can do, would like to do, what facets of yourself you have not explored yet. Start working on them. If you need to finish a degree or to get a different one, start just Plugging away at it, even if it's in small increments, to prepare yourself for the future because that's right, it is a basic truth of the universe that change is the only constant. And I think Mm -hmm. that our social system sets us up to think that you can just nail it down and this is your life and this is what your life is going to be, but it's not because everything changes, children grow up, you know, um, people develop, divorce happens, divorce happens. And even just, you know, substance abuse, you know, some you you marry somebody when you're 30 and you don't know that by the time he's 60, you know, he is going to have a terrible problem with alcoholism or, you know, opioid addiction or, you know, people have a lot of problems that overtake them at certain points. Another basic rule of nature is being able to take care of yourself. So that's the piece of it that we don't give women in terms of our social conditioning, Um, we don't tell them that. We still tell them implicitly or explicitly that they can rely on someone else to take care of them. And if that was ever true, it is not true now. I would argue that it has never really been true because your husband could drop dead of a heart attack. 40, my grandmother expected to be married forever. My grandfather ran off with his mistress when my mother was nine and mm. my grandmother had never, never entered her mind. She was born in 1890, you know. She certainly hadn't planned a career. And so she was she was destitute. We need to start thinking differently about and, and come up with a different uh, life plan that accommodates. I mean, my friend, as I said, who <laughs> my friend who has the mother who just turned 106, he said to me a couple of years ago, I thought I'd done due diligence. I had pl- done all my meticulous financial planning with the idea that my mother could live to be a hundred and now she's 106. 106. <laughs> so however you're, whatever chronology you're planning for, just extend it a little bit to be on the safe side for yourself, right? you know? Well,
0: yeah. for yourself, right? And it's funny because I think about like what you're saying and I'm like, you know, my mom's death in, in many ways, I mean, which is not what I'm planning or want or anything like that, but you know, she's 80. And so like, you know um, but like her death is somewhat my retirement plan. Right, you know, yeah, like well, my, wait, twenty six more years. To, hold on. <laughs> you
1: to talk to my friend Barry.
0: I'm going to be seventy six. Like maybe yeah. you know, she lives me hundred and six.
1: Maybe that's I'm not. Maybe she's not exactly. the best retirement plan. <laughs> uh, you know, my basic motto is don't don't count on anybody else. Not yes. your parents, <laughs> you know, and, and also your parents, you know. Given how much health care costs and the cost of <sighs> you know, end of life care, an awful lot of people think they're going to get money from their parents and their parents run through it all before they die through no fault of their own. But, you know, stuff happens. Right. So um, provide for yourself. Also, you know, your children, your children, if you end up being a financial burden on your children at a time (sighs) when they're trying to develop their own independent adult lives, they're not going to be thanking you for being home to make cookies uh, for, you know, the school snack of the day. That's, That's right. Of course, back when they were going to school in person, right. <laughs> which I assume that at some point they will again reliably. But, you know, they're going to be saying, why didn't you plan better? I've God knows I've interviewed countless young adults who, who are furious with their mothers for not having thought this through. Because now, you know, the father has long since, you know, disappeared from the picture. And they say, well, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to say, oh, well, I don't care if you end up in the gutter. I mean, they love their mothers, but this is not what they wanted either. So, you know, women have got to take uh, responsibility for their own destinies is my bottom line.
0: Yep. And listen, there are so many. Look, I mean, I think about my mom, who's a single mom. Um, my parents split up when they were, when I was 11 months old (laughs) and my mom was a single mom in New York city, uh, with, uh, you know, at 31 with no family in the country and no support system. And it was hard. She put herself through graduate school. She got it, you know, eventually got her master's, then her PhD, she became a full professor, like, but this was like a 20 year journey of her. Yes, exactly. Right. And it wasn't that she was relying on my father to be her uh, income, by the way, like she was not a stay at home mom ever, but they were both actors. (laughs) So, you know,
1: so, you know, the question really is, a lot of women, you know, to some extent, they they delude themselves because they think, oh, well, you know, I do X, but they don't really think if I had to, starting tomorrow, take care of myself and my children, I can earn a loan. Could I do that? And uh, if the answer is not yes, you've got to put some serious thought into this. It's also Uh the case that most Americans do not have uh, very much life insurance. So a lot of the time if a man dies, you know, uh, there's absolutely nowhere close to what A woman with young children is going to need in order to finish raising them, God forbid, educating them, you know? Sure.
0: Yeah. Like a hundred thousand dollars is like, that's not going to, that's going to be a, maybe a year.
1: (laughs) And right now, I mean, this morning's headlines were all about housing costs skyrocketing all over the country. I think that it's just critical for us to, it's like waking, it's like, it's like we've all been trained to be Sleeping Beauty. You know, um, we just are in. If we believe the messages of this culture, we're in this. You know, we may be hardworking moms. I mean, it's God knows it is not easy to you know raise kids and manage a household. But but there are parts of life that nobody gave us the memo that we were going to have to deal with. That we are going to have to deal with. The, the statistics about later years. Are shocking. I mean, the, the vast majority of men die with a partner. The vast majority of women die alone. So you can tell right there. And, and this, you know, there are a variety of reasons. Men do die younger, for example. And as I said, men repartner. So men will remarry if they. Mm-hmm are widowed later in life, and women uh, generally don't find another husband to remarry. For all of those reasons, there's no one taking care of you. And it is a very, I mean, I'm divorced. Uh, My life blew up when I was 60. I was very shocked by uh, what happened. Um, And although I've always worked, I was uh, in no way prepared for this radical change in what my later life was going to be, but at least I could hang on to my home because I did earn an income. It's still incredibly hard and painful, Mm -hmm. but it would be less so if we didn't all feel so alone. As I said, when these inevitable life challenges come up, our culture acts as though, well, there must be something wrong with you because this happened to you, you know? Mm -mm, And mm -mm. uh, the thing I would like to say to all women out there is it's not your fault. You know, you did whatever you did. You probably did out of love for your children and your husband with the best motives and the best intentions. And if it all, you know, worked out badly, or if you're undergoing these terrible hardships and challenges, Um, you were set up to, to have that happen to you by the way that we run our culture and our economy and the workforce. So don't blame yourself. You do have to cope with it, but it's not your fault. And, uh, life does get better when you take responsibility for your life. I'm sure, you know, you've spoken about that a lot, um, on your Oh, absolutely. Journey. Um, <laughs> absolutely. I actually wouldn't trade my current life for anything. You know, frankly rather, you know, cut off my head than remarry. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie and I just, no just of, a little no, no lack of love for you know, having fun with men, but the idea of having another husband just makes me want to stick my head in the
0: oven. <sighs> yeah, Leslie and I had a conversation a few weeks ago in which we were we were laughing about. The idea of, of in agreement about the (laughs) the idea of getting married again, which is just, I mean, in, and in my fantasy, sure. I would love, you know, I would love all of the trappings of that. Right. But that's fantasy. It's fantasy
1: because of the patriarchal sort of, you know, acculturation we all go through, Mm -hmm. you know, it dawns on you at a certain point. Oh, our model of marriage. Let's see. Let's see. Women do 90% of the giving and men do 90% of the taking. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so another one of my yeah. favorite pieces of research is that if you look at the, uh, you know, among heterosexuals, the four major population groups, the happiest population group is married men. The system's working <laughs> very well for them. The very well. The second half happiest population group, and this is startling, is single women. The third happiest is single men. The least happy population group is married women. What does that tell you about the <laughs> relative balance of what women are giving in marriage and what they're getting, you know? I mean, we saw, we saw with the pandemic, you know, you have two full-time wage earners, you know, if they're both working at home and suddenly the kids need homeschooling, and uh, why, why, is it that this all falls on mom? You
0: know, And it literally just fell on m- just moms, did. right? Like it just, it was this unspoken. And I think this also goes to this expectations of motherhood mm-hmm. and how they have changed over the years and how, you know, badges of motherhood, mothers being, you know, fully present and attachment parenting and all of these things where we intensive like, motherhood. I, Yes. Yes. Intensive motherhood. And I have to give my all to my babies otherwise. Right. And I, you know, I don't, I think there's a, I think there's a balance. I think there's a yes and here. Listen, it's wildly
1: unrealistic. One of the things that's true in modern times is working women today in, in contemporary times, uh, let's say pre-pandemic when people actually left their house, right, Um, Right. but working women, contemporary ones, spend more time parent, you know, with their children yes. than yes. stay at home moms did when I was growing up in the fifties and sixties, because right. we have this, this sort of professionalization of motherhood and we raised the bar so much on what's required. Right. All of these yep. things, you know, people don't no longer tell their kids to go out and play and come back by dinner time, you know, and, right. and mm-hmm. there are just so many attendant, Uh, responsibilities and customs in most communities and chauffeuring them to, you know, sports events or all of these these extracurricular activities. And it's so demanding of the mother and it doesn't leave her room or flexibility to have her own life, professional or otherwise. You know, and the time use studies are uh, shocking because even when mothers are uh, equal earners in the household, Women are still doing two thirds of the child care and the domestic uh, drudge work, you know, the house yep. housework and stuff. And yep. what's most disturbing to me about that data is that both men and women think that's about right. So we've so brainwashed women to think they should be giving more and getting less. That's right. You yep. know, that's right. That they say, oh, it's okay, as if they have to atone for. Earning money mm-hmm. by doing more, so women have no leisure time. They have much less time to take care of themselves, to explore their own interests. They're not going off and playing golf on Saturday just because they've been working all all week. And and the men are whether they're right. you know playing video games or whatever they're doing. It's generally mm-hmm. not for the g- greater good of the entire family unit.
0: That's right. That's right. I was ha- I had dinner with a friend last night. It was so. Upsetting because she was talking about her marriage and she was just, you know, she's just, it was like she was on the brink of tears the whole time we were talking about this. And she was just talking about how stressed she is and how she, you know, she has to make dinner every night. And she runs a pretty large company with multiple employees, you know, and he works too, but like she's (laughs) carrying a different load. And I was like, wait, do you cook dinner every night? And she was like, well, yeah. And I was like, "Hold on a minute." And what if you actually de- you know delegated that at least like two nights a week? And then she said, "But what if I don't like what he makes?" And I said, "Yes, giving up control means you also have to give up critique and right. you know and criticism of it. You also have to say i I promise to be, you know, just grateful right. <laughs> and kind about whatever he makes, right And then the conversation went on and she was talking about the kids and all of this stuff. And I realized, I said, he just basically exists and does his own thing in the house and like has his own life. And then he gets the benefit of all of of your work, of having a family, of having a wife, right? He gets the benefit of having a wife and kids and all of that, but he
1: doesn't actually have to do very much. That's why I said, you know, women at a certain point, wake up to the fact that they're doing 90% of the giving and mm-hmm. the man is doing 90% of the taking men get that's right. all that's why men married men are a, a very happy population group statistically, because they just get all of these incredible benefits. And uh-huh. but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, you know, they have also have unfettered freedom. And these days, they're that's likely right. to be, you know, on seeking and having some you know, girls um, on the side or whatever, and you know, they're not even necessarily showing up at home to be with their kids. And right. um, you know, and, and it's a raw deal for women, and yet we are so self-questioning and self-doubting mm-hmm. that it's very hard for us to say, no, this isn't fair. There is a sort of Stefford Wives aspect to it that we're brainwashed. Like what if he didn't make a nutritious dinner? And then I would feel like it was my fault that my kids weren't getting a good dinner if I didn't like what he made or whatever. Well, you know what? They're not going to die. You know, they're not going to die if they Uh, eat pizza. It's fine. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I do think women have got to start holding men to a higher standard because it's not going to change until we do.
0: That's right. That's right and you mentioned you know in the beginning of this conversation you mentioned we needed we need a new blueprint right what would you say that that blueprint would look like? What is that blueprint?
1: Well you know uh, the United States is uh, you know if you look at it in comparison with all the other Western industrialized nations, we do so a atrocious <laughs> job of taking care of people's actual needs and the, the group that we fail the most abysmally, is women and and by extension, children, because we don't Mm -hmm. have paid parental leave and maternity leave, paternity leave, flexibility for caregivers, um, any of these things that people need in order to manage both aspects of their lives. And one of the problems with this is that in our very politically polarized country, Unfortunately, a lot of the issues uh, that have to do with the welfare of families and the welfare of, you know, women and children have been politicized so that people perceive them in terms of left, right, red, blue, Democrat, Republican. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I uh, would like to say to women everywhere is we've got to stop this nonsense. This doesn't have anything to do with where you fall on the political spectrum. Our needs are not being met. The needs of modern families are not being met. Um, By all of these different measures, uh, things are bad in this country and they don't have to be. This is a rich nation. And one of the reasons that they're bad is that we're still going along with the program of this very, very sexist system That doesn't take our needs into account. And if we end up living, you know, in cars, you know, at 78, starving to death, um, you know, the system just doesn't pay any attention because older women are invisible. So we've just all got to draw the line in the sand and say, no, this is enough. We've got to start voting our own interests, whatever that takes, putting pressure on both political parties. To, yes. to put our needs first. You know. Well,
0: so I was, yeah, I was gonna push back on you about it not being political because it actually is right. Well, now, it is
1: very right? political. What I'm saying is we need to stop accepting that framing of it. We we can't we no longer can let's say uh, we're gonna let a lot of old white men in Washington tell uh-huh. us that this is a left, right. right, red, blue issue. No, it's not. It's about children having enough to eat and being cared for and mothers being able to work and support themselves if their husbands dropped out of a heart attack at 47.
0: Right, it's not It's not socialism. It, they're social safety nets for a reason. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I mean,
1: because people need them, particularly if they're gonna live to be 106, you know?
0: That's right, yes. And, and it is, by and large, Republican lawmakers that keep blocking these exactly. things that we need. And so that's where it becomes political. Right. But if Republican women were to come right. and talk and, and speak up and say like, "No, absolutely not," you're not right. Then it wouldn't be right, and it wouldn't be as political. I so see. Yes, why, I see. What you're saying. Why right.
1: are women at any point on the political expe- spectrum accepting this? You know, yeah. It's time for us to say no. This isn't good enough. You know, did you read the article? Unless you give us what we need for our families.
0: Thank you. And did you read the article in the New York Times this week about um, the ERA and the ratification? Yes. of The I mean, ERA. It's
1: so basic. It's just so basic. The, the idea that women are human beings,
0: right? We can't ratify the Equal Rights Amendments. Mind blowing. Not because there's, any, there's no legal precedent for it taking longer, not because of anything like that, just because it's, it benefits women. Right. And God forbid
1: we should but, amend but the even, constitution. Even to, it protects to equalize women, us, you know, yes, is what I would right. say. And in protecting women, we are protecting children. So the idea that any political party should be able to get away with calling itself the party of family values when it's just selling the needs of women and children down the river is absurd. You. you know, I'm Thank sorry. You children need actually to eat. Look at the poverty statistics, you know, who is poor women and children
0: and black women and Latino women more so than anyone else. Well,
1: certainly in terms of equal pay, I mean, white Uh women are discriminated against tragically enough, but black women and Hispanic women earn that much less, you know, at every, you know, the discrimination is just enormous. And over right. the years, these small increments add up. That's right. I uh, asked a financial advisor. I um, uh, left a job when I was young because I found out that my uh, husband, who sat next to me and was doing the same job, was being paid 25% more than I was for doing the same job. And so I said, well, um, this is wrong. and This is illegal. So why don't you just raise me to the level of the guys and they said no. And uh, I was a, a not very well paid newspaper reporter at that point. So I was, uh, this was a matter of, of a deficit of $10,000 a year over the course of 10 years. So and what year was this? I left Just for context, in 1988. So okay. uh, yeah. uh, in my later years, when I became a senior citizen, I was a, a columnist at the time for Newsweek Daily Beast. And I had a financial advisor run the numbers. And I said, okay, so if I got cheated out of $10,000 a year for 10 years, that's a total of $100,000. If I had had that money in 1988 and invested it, what would I have today that I don't have as I become a senior citizen? And she ran the numbers and she said, well, you know, it depends on the rate of return, but if you just averaged out what you'd get in the stock market, you're talking about a million dollars. So women rationalize, oh, they're only paying me $2,000 or $5,000 or whatever, $10,000 less than they're paying that guy. But believe me, when you get to be 65 and you look at what Social Security is going to give you, particularly if you've had uh, interruptions in your labor force participation and you're going to have to live on that for the rest of your life, I don't know, an extra million dollars. An extra million, million sounds that, good. Wouldn't it? I sure was sorry that I didn't have that.
0: Uh, that, so don't rationalize uh, right. these
1: pay gaps. They catch up with you in the long run.
0: Leslie, we could we could literally talk about this all day.
1: <laughs> um, so <laughs> let's just tell women, rise up and defend your own interests. That's my bottom line. You know, I we've got to it. band together to get these, to start getting these things changed. Because I'm like, I'm practically 106. You know, I've been working on this (laughs) stuff for a long time. And it is very frustrating to look at it and say, oh my God, I can't believe we're still talking about these things. Why have we not not fixed this? These are, it's not rocket science. That's the problem. If all the other Western industrialized nations are doing a better job, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pick up and move to France at this late date just because, you know, they have better policies. Why can't we fix things here?
0: so okay, so what does that mean? What is an action that we rise up and take
1: back our power? What does that mean? How? make our voice make our voices heard. Women have got to stop voting against their own interests mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. accepting too little. If you look at all of the things we've talked about in this hour, an awful lot of them are about women. Who are, as I said, we are brainwashed from birth by our culture to accept too little and not to say that's enough. That's not enough. And, you know, the worst thing you can call a woman is selfish, right? Uh-huh, we have this right. horror. That's right. We are supposed right. to be self sacrificing and selfless in service of our loved ones. And it is not a bad thing for us to take care of our own needs. As I said, if only because our children don't want to be stuck with us as a burden on them when we get older, you know? right? Do yeah. this, do this for their Spend thing, less time anymore. with them now, right? and then you, they won't have to take care of you so later. It's ask funny. for more because we are getting cheated and we've mm-hmm. accepted being cheated. And it's the same in the household. If you're doing two thirds of the housework, even though you're also, uh, you know, a breadwinner, stop. Say to your husband, this isn't good enough. If you're doing two thirds of the child care, you know, there are still a lot of men out there who think they're doing their wives a favor if they take the kids from two to four on a Saturday and go to the park and they call it babysitting. Well, no, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. it's not babysitting, it's parenting and you signed up to be a parent. You know, I do have some hope. I have two millennial children, both of whom are partnered. My daughter's husband is lovely and my son was raised by me, a fierce feminist. So I have a lot of uh, letters that his uh, former girlfriends have written me saying, Wow, he's so different from other guys. How did you do this? And I basically, you know, my answer to that is, I just didn't get let him get away with all this nonsense. You know, yes, you yes. are not entitled to be, you know, spoiled and irresponsible just because you have X Y chromosomes. You know, right? And, right? Uh, you know, male body parts. I'm
0: sending my son to Camp Leslie for the summer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, right, do know, I, I do like my best. I do my best. Phrase man up. But the other the other thing is a friend of mine who's a gender studies expert says, patriarchy makes men weaker. And I believe that's, that's right. True. We've rigged a yes. game on their favor so that the minute that you know you you equalize things, they're complaining because they're losing these unearned advantages. So to right. me, the best thing we can do for our sons is prepare them for a world where these, these unearned privileges are disappearing. Yes, uh, they're not going to be able to compete unless they realize that they, too, have to take responsibility for their lives. And that includes their family lives. You know, we've all mm-hmm, got to equalize mm-hmm. things so that we're all able to function in a modern, globalized economy that's changing very fast, which is a huge challenge for all of us. So let's get rid of all this gender stereotyping that holds us all back. Amen yeah leslie where can people find you do you have your your website or yes they can find me through the website i think it's leslie-bennets.com and there's a there's a thing uh where you can communicate Uh, i'm a complete idiot about these things so i have to admit my son the my son the tech guru monitors it for me and sends me sends me things as an act of kindness You know, I just think we should, we, we, the time of sleeping beauty is over. We all need to wake up and deal with the world as it is. And, uh, and I'm horrified at the thought of living to be a hundred, but I'm trying to plan or plan for it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Should I be that unlucky? <laughs> you know, I'm get one of those t-shirts that says, live long enough to be a burden to your kids.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Leslie, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, you are... for what you're oh.
1: doing. Women need all the help they can get because the society we're living in does not give it to us. We So we have to give it to each other. And that's that's my mission in life. That's all I care about at this point. You know, we got, as I said, we got a lot of work to do.